Slava Isusu Christu. Please be seated. And we are reminded in the gospel today of the criteria of our faith and in the so far based in the preaching of the apostles, the teaching of the fathers, and the tradition of our holy liturgy. Name the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. My brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus our Lord, St. Paul says these words, What I see from the Father, I hand down you and the Son. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. In these words in the Greek text, he calls it the paradosis. The paradosis is the tradition. And you see her many times during the offices of the church and in the, especially in the Gospels and the dogmatic teaching of the church, the councils that they're handing down to us this paradosis, this teaching, this tradition. So we, especially in the Byzantine rite of the Catholic Church, in all the Eastern churches, insist that we have the teaching of Jesus Christ, the teaching of the councils, the fathers, and is sung in the melody of the liturgy in the churches. In fact, all we believe about Christ, the Father and the Holy Spirit, are sung to you every day that you go to the sacred liturgy. For the canon of the Eucharistic prayer, in the East called the Anaphora, is a summary, a redaction of all we believe, and thereby we know, and that's repeated, why we are celebrating the Holy Eucharist. We're celebrating every bit of that. And so, always encourage priests myself to be careful how they say the Eucharistic prayer. We live in a difficult world to preserve our faith. This oral faith we received from the apostles it was redacted over and over again. We have evidence from the writing of the fathers, especially Irenaeus, of this redaction. A redaction means they took the words of Jesus Christ that taught them. Some of it was written down, some for other, other ways orally and the teaching of the fathers. And they recorded them in what we call 
the New Testament. But it also says in the New Testament, there are other things that Jesus said that are not here. And he says the conclusion of John's Gospel, the books to be written could not contained in the world for all that Jesus taught and did. So in a way, redaction means a reduction, you know, like I listen to the cooks in the monastery and they, they reduce the liquid to make a thicker, more tasty gravy. So that's what we have in the New Testament is a reduction. But if you're familiar with the Byzantine liturgy, every word that's said in all the services is either a quotation or, or a paraphrase of the teaching of the New Testament. But we must also give our due on this day to the Council Fathers in Nicaea. The 316. 316 is a holy number from the Old Testament, and it's used many times in Christians as a symbolic saying, remind us that all the fathers and representatives were there, and it said so in the readings today uh, that those great fathers met there. You know some of them so personally, especially St. Nicholas, the Council Nicaea. And that's the famous battle that our children enact at Christmas time around December the 6th of Nicholas, punching Arius in the nose or worse. Of course, our children make it much worse than it probably was, but it's good. We really act out in our lives and live a liturgical life, which means we live close to the teaching of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. It's not like things have not happened, but somebody asked me one time, what is the job of the Pope? Well, these days, the job seems to be an ambassador of the church to the world. But the job of the Pope basically in every bishop and every priest is to protect and preach the apostolic tradition. And the epitome of that is Christ is risen. So people seem, young people sometimes, who haven't lived long enough to know the difference, say they don't know their faith and they're confused. All you have to say to them is Christ is risen. Of course, we try to catechize our people, and especially our young people. Every day in the office, uh, office matins, we pray for that we instruct the instruction of the young, and you hear that too in church all the time. At the same time, I don't know what happens if you are so shy that some of you have failed even to hand on the tradition of our fathers to your children. 
and that makes for a big sadness in my heart. How is that done, especially in the family? I remember I, I'm going to attribute it to Bishop Sheen, uh, Captain Sheen. He used to say the family prays together, stays together. And you cannot start early enough. So, you ladies who are with child, you go to church, and that little baby hears the music. He hears the singing. His education about faith or hers starts in the womb of the mother. Also, in the tenderness of the father as he nurtures his pregnant wife. And of course, that nurturing also goes to the child. So we should be teaching our children right from conception. I know the doctors say, don't eat the wrong thing, don't drink the wrong thing. That's okay. But what are you doing spiritually? I had some, my dad had some cousins that were distant to me. Um, I didn't know them too well. Their name was Tice. So I couldn't figure that out because most of our cousins were, had these unusual Slav names, these exotic names like Stamichov, things like that. And, uh, they weren't blessed to have a child. So they adopted a child, a little boy, and every day she carried that baby to church. And they raised him close to their hearts and disciplined. Discipline doesn't mean you beat up on your children. Discipline means that you protect them that what will harm them. You don't say, let him go touch the stove. He'll get burned and he'll know. That's how the animals learn. We learn from gentle words and uh, correction, paternal correction, maternal correction, and patience. Unfortunately, most of our people send their children to schools which are bound to harm them. They even have playmates that harm them. They find out they're Catholic and their playmates are not, and they can be even insulting to your children. So once the child leaves the home, and you put him in the world, don't think things aren't going to happen and you're not going to cry bitter tears. I always had special regard for homeschoolers. I talked at their conventions. I invited them to use church, our church uh, as a source of education. And I got like doctors and people in the parish who I knew were 
busy to come in and teach them science and things like that in a Christian way. Because what you're doing from the moment you conceive a child is creating an environment in which they grow and learn. That environment is also for adults. I'm 57 years a priest this year. I don't know how I got that old. It just happens, slips away day by day. And I'm still learning. I went to a wonderful seminary, beautiful liturgy, concerned with the faculty, spiritual direction, and then they set me on the street. So what did I do? I was filled with zeal. They they fired the heart, loving the church, now lady, and especially the beauty of the church. Look around this church. It's your teacher the beauty of the church. And I prayed. Everybody was very interested in me when I was studying for the priesthood and prayed for me, and I made it. And uh, But once you ordained a figure, although we asked for the priest to pray, for people to pray for priests, priests and prayer together, They figure you're established. No one is established without prayer. So if I say to you, well, you know, you're using a lot of oxygen. Maybe you should take every other breath. You say, Father, you're nuts. I can't can't live without breathing. That's true. Neither can you live a decent life a holy life without deep personal prayer. One of the wonderful things about being a Catholic is we have so many holidays. There's always something to celebrate in the home and in the church. And remember Paul calls the church in the Greek ecclesiola, the little church. So all those virtues we decide that should be found in the clergy and in the church must be also practiced in your home. The tradition, so any people, I be people, Catholic people, they cannot even give me the names of the great fathers. These are the great, great theologian, John Christian, Gregory Nazianzen, etc., 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 the age of the flowers in the East uh, stopped at about the 8th century. I noticed in the Western Church, they give great teachers the t- title of doctor. Well, that's an academic title. That's not a church title. But it's okay. Why do they do that? To call your attention to their writings and what they taught. We cannot live 
a holy life unless you live a moral life. The first thing you have to do is eliminate sin from your life. It's difficult because we are subject to passions, good and bad. Even the soul itself has passions, good and bad. We should cater to the good passions to keep under control the monster that we might become. Very important. A monster, selfish, who puts his ego instead of what he wants, is in trouble. We had such men in the seminary. They were ambitious. They didn't make it. Or if they did make it, they become disillusioned. They thought they were going to be a bishop next week. Bishops in advancement in church are the business of the Holy Spirit, not our business. But we should pray for vocations and the purity of our clergy. Now, all of you are sort of knowledgeable, at least in church. That's why you're sort of here. For our pilgrimage, and I thank you and for the help. But God's helping us more, making sure everything has water. But we appreciate it. So anyway, all these beautiful people have some notion of Catholicism. But is it what the early church taught? Now they say in the magazines that, that there's a great return in the church to the teachings of the early fathers or the early church. I'm not cognizant to make a judgment about that. But you can do that for yourself. You're all literate. What a gift. In the Byzantine Empire, literacy was 80%. And the greatest news was not what they heard about the weather or the wars or what was going on, but it was, where's theology going? When the bishops at Queen 25 came out of the little church, I've been in that church, sort of broken down, it was a stone church. In the back of it, against the wall, there are still remnants of the bishop's throne in the proper place, by the way. And there's a little bit of a mosaic there, sort of down towards the end of one of the foundations. And so we went there with the famous teacher, Father Taft, who's now gone to his reward, and we sang the Nicene Creed where it was written by the Holy Spirit. What a, what a wonderful opportunity. Every time you say your rosary, I know you say the, the Westerners especially say the Apostles' Creed or something. In the East Church, we always say the Nicene Creed. We say it many times a day. Now about the moral life, 
measure your behavior upon the teaching of the Nicene Creed and the Fathers. We all know things like abortion are wrong. They were wrong in the early church too. They're not changed. We all know that divorce is wrong. It's always wrong in the early church, but because the state passes a rule and gives you an easy divorce don't mean you should take that. You get a mate you're sort of easy to choose in this country. It's not so in the older cultures. And once you choose, my grandmother said, you've made your bed, now you got to lay in it. Paul did not recommend marriage for us. It's not that he did not respect marriage. It's just difficult. It takes our mind away from God. We have in the Eastern Church, as you know, partially married clergy. And we've had it since apostolic times. I've lived through my lifetime watched married clergy. Especially in America, Catholics don't really pay their clergy very much. I was telling that to the, from the other day to the, some visitors. The result, if they're living a Catholic life as clergymen, they have children. And they have very little short resources to take care of them. College has become so much very important. And certainly you're never going to be a clergyman if you're not college trained. The United States bishops have made sure of that. Unless you're in a monastery, we have different rules. So we educate our children to the hilt if they're smart enough to do it. But we don't pay that much attention on religious education. And so our children are being crowned with a secular education, an atheistic education, and told that we're some type of a fable without raising the balance of grace in their heart to know to counteract that. They have to be cherried better. They have to do a better job. Sometimes these divorces runs up with the grandparents with the children. And uh, sometimes I think it's a blessing, especially if the grandparents are practicing and the parents are not. We should do something about that. Thank God people are living, living longer. But 20 years from now, will the Catholic Church exist, will it be filled with people? Or will we say for those 20 years, you can can choose your own religion. You can't choose it. There's only one religion. We may be Byzantine Catholics, but we're Catholic. 
more Catholic than the rest. But they're always trying to influence us to be improved. There's no improved model. The creeds, the teachings of the fathers, liturgy, they are our teachers. Today, as we look at these fathers and these councils, they had troubles too. And they came together and they called upon the Holy Spirit and they gave us not a new doctrine, not something they invented, but what they had received through the apostolic preaching. That's our faith. One of the problems about being a human being is you die. And some of our best teachers also die. Some leave monuments of faith for us to read and study. Others, they're forgotten as soon as they're cold in the ground. I was at an ecumenical meeting with Catholics, Orthodox, and a few Protestants. Of course, the Protestants are always at a loss because they don't speak our language. They don't speak theological language. We were very close to the Orthodox. We're closer to some Orthodox than we are to some Catholics. But I always say to them, Matthew 16, you are Peter, upon this rock I build the church, and that's apostolic. It's not because we always had a love affair with the West, because they're cruel to us many times, but they have the Pope. First among equals is not enough. He is the rock. And of course, we Catholics expect him to act like that. And we have the right to respect that. But Jesus Christ has the right to think that we are and know that because of his grace, we are faith-filled people. Sylvanic, we say the Pobozni, the people who are filled with love of God and pray. There's no shortcuts. That prayer will remove from you sin. When sin disappears in your life, your will and the will of God become in harmony like a great symphony. And when you reach that point, it's a difficult job. You, God can deify you, give you a participation to a greater extent in his personal life so that you become the body of Christ, the church, and the, your brother and your savior and your priest is the great high priest, Jesus Christ, and he loves you. All of us are going to fall asleep in the Lord. We don't die. Our body dies. We have a beautiful soul. That's our great treasure. 
take care of. All of the idols will be judged. It's a difficult saying who's to judge, but we say Jesus is our judge, yeah. But also maybe our peers, maybe the saints. As we go on the journey to heaven, when we get to the throne room, if we get that far, God will look at us. What's he looking for? He's looking for the image of his son in our hearts. He's looking for the divine energy. He's looking for the love you have for Christ and his church. We, uh, I see here sometimes uh, people pre- worrying about uh, teaching morality that the priest no longer preaches sin. Well, I rarely sit around talking about sin. I don't like it. And I don't mind to multiply it in my life. But I have prayer. And prayer and sin are not mutual. So the Eastern Church is an ascetic church. It doesn't spend much time on sin. Tries to get everybody converted and filled with divine grace where sin does not exist. Sometimes in hearing confessions, people confess something and the priest wants a clarification. Well, where did you learn that? One child I was dealing with, he said, well, I read the Catholic Encyclopedia. It's a dangerous book, isn't it? Not for children to read. It goes into detail about sin. Not good to confess on one's mind. It's always a pleasure to see who will come to us for our Memorial Day cleanup and prayers. And uh, it's always a pleasure to give you a little homily, usually about family life, a little bit about mysticism, hoping that you'll learn how you become saint. And always worry about the canonized saints. All of you should worry about being a saint. That's how you get into heaven. That's how you get to heaven. I talked to the monks once in a while. I said, well, I'm just going to, if I get that far before God, I'm going to just go throw myself down in front of God and say, mercy. I want to talk about mercy. In uh, our church, we are always saying, Lord, have mercy, or plus body pomeroi, in Slavonic. The Slavonic words are more uh, explanatory than the English words. Uh, Slavonic, Pomila comes from, for example, the men are working in a little chapel and trying to make more room. 
because I'm getting a lot of priests coming here and they like to come celebrate, so I need a little more room. And it's going to happen. They're working very hard, and I appreciate them. And uh, I'm always uplifting the house some way or another. But pomiloi means they're painting the walls. They're anointing the walls. Miloi in Slavonic means like, that's what they say when they paint. But it means more than that. It means exactly in Slavonic to be embraced, to be embraced. And so when you say, Lord, have mercy, you're asking for God to embrace you. We teach you the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. You're asking Jesus to embrace you, to fill you with love, to cure you, to give you security, to give you a kind heart to your neighbor. All the things that we should have in our society which would transform the world. My dear brothers and sisters, we have a wonderful high priest, Jesus Christ the Lord. And he sent us wonderful teachers. And he set us in a way to live an ascetical life. So we don't mention sin too much. You know if you sin. God will tell you. And you know you're pushing the Holy Spirit away from you when you sin like this. You should have a guilt feelings if you're just having having a party of a kind with life. So there was a Russian woman, I told one of the ladies leaders, and she was walking in the street, and she didn't look too happy. So one of the, of course, the foreigner, probably not a Russian, walked up to her and said, what was wrong? She says, God doesn't love us. What do you mean God doesn't love you? God loves everything. He says, no, we know God loves us because we're not suffering. Yes, you suffer all the time. Yes, it's not easy. I know it's not easy. But you have a great consoler. And in your suffering, look at the cross. He did that for you. The monks mount the cross. They wear it in Panama under their habit. It's a piece of cloth or cloth. I see that some of them here have very nice ones that are handmade. I have a nice one, but I'm saving it to be buried with it. Raymond, on that, it says in Oslovanic and Greek that my body has become the body of Christ. That's the monk. Become the body of Christ. What you eat is what you become, the Holy Eucharist. And the life that's in you is not your own. It must be Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen.